episode 43. I'm one of your hosts, Willow Rowe. And I'm your other host, Robin B. Robin, do you know the last time there was a hurricane in Los Angeles? Like five days ago? I know, okay, but before that. Oh, like 70 years ago? 84 years. Damn. Funnily enough... Guess which one Willow was present for? The one 84 years ago. I just look really good for my age. I'm from LA. I haven't been home in a very long time, and I flew home last week to, you know, visit my family. First off, horrible flight experience. There's a reason you should fly direct from New York to LA. I got stuck in the Raleigh-Durham airport. Bad place to get stuck. Yeah, and I was there for 12 hours. Thankfully, I like you know, we got a hotel. But um, yeah, I, I was tweeting about it, and I was like, listen, I know for a fact that one Tori Dominguez Peak from Press Start lives in Durham, North Carolina. So I might be hitting her up. If you want to come get like an Auntie Anne's pretzel at the airport or whatever. Listen, I'm sorry. I, the Raleigh Durham airport, <laughs> I was not having it there. <laughs> so much of the food was closed. Mm. And I was very disappointed about that. That's not sad. great. So no. I'm sure Durham's lovely. Maybe I'll come up there on purpose sometime. Yeah, I used to live in Raleigh. Do you know this? About no, me? I didn't. Yeah, I used to live in Raleigh. It's a pretty cool oh, okay. place. I never went to the airport, though. My dad is from uh, uh, Charlottesville, North Carolina. Hmm. That's where he grew up. So, Is it still legal for you to pee in North Carolina? No, I don't okay. think so. I looked it up. I wasn't sure. Trust me. I looked it up. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyways, I got to eventually, a day later than I was supposed to, got to L.A., landed, um, and I was like, cool, so glad I came here to experience a hurricane. It didn't really happen. It was downgraded to a tropical storm. And then also it just it just drizzled. It was mm -hmm. fine. There wasn't any wind. Uh, the true. funniest part, though, is that during the Sunday that like the hurricane was supposed to be happening, it was raining outside and I was sitting down at my childhood dining table with uh, my mom and my sister, who also <laughs> one of my sisters who also happened to be in town and mm -hmm. Zoe. And uh, we were playing a card game. And then while it's raining and we're like, oh, hurricane, haha, there was an earthquake. <laughs> Just to make sure you got the full LA experience, I know. there needed to be an earthquake. While and you I were was there. like, I cannot believe <laughs> the timing of me coming home for this. That is unfortunate. Um, but Wasn't yeah. there like a horrible storm when you went to Florida too? Uh, I don't think so. Maybe I'm just thinking something bad happened because you were in Florida. Because I was in Florida? Yeah, fair right. enough. Fun fun fact about visiting LA. I guess not a fun fact. Fun story. Um, Sad fact. No, just a, just a oh. story. Uh, okay. My, <laughs> I was about to be like, my mom lives there, which, yes, obviously, that's why I was fun there. Fact. My mom, <laughs> uh, big fan of the Girl Mode podcast. Shout out to, <laughs> shout out to my mother. Uh, Hi, Willa's mom. <laughs> Sorry she, we say such... Gross I know, I know. Um, but she she said to me, and I thought this was really funny. Uh, she said that she has quote learned a lot about my childhood, uh, <laughs> end quote from listening to the podcast. Uh -huh. <laughs> Which I was like, did she I, give any examples? <laughs> she did, and I just thought it was funny. She mostly was saying how she didn't realize how many video games she let me play, and like the types <laughs> of video games I was playing, because she was like yeah, you keep talking about all these games. And I was like, I didn't realize I was letting her play any of this. 
<laughs> she really played a you're lot like, of video games. You're like ratting out your childhood self. I really am. Yeah, thank God my mother never saw me playing Drakengard. Uh, but yeah, I just thought that was really funny. But hey, it all worked out. I am now, you know, I write about video games for a meager living. And I have a podcast. Yeah. So it all, it all worked out, Mom. Um, thanks. It's all going great. Thanks, Carol. Shout out to Carol. Um, <laughs> that's my little uh, side side story about my <laughs> adventure adventure to LA. I, I just I just thought you would like to know that. Yeah, that's neat. My side story of this week is I'm writing for Inverse again. <laughs> I know that's cool. You thought uh, you'd seen the last of you. <laughs> yeah, you thought you'd seen the last of me. Um, I don't know what that reference was to, by the way. Oh, that it's thing um, that you tweeted. it's it's a it's from American Horror Story Coven. Oh, okay. Yeah, Zoe was saying how she wanted to tweet about your return to Inverse with a specific RuPaul's Drag Race gif. I don't mm-hmm. know the the drag queen, but apparently there's a season where one of the one of the queens she like comes back into the competition, and it's like a very iconic moment, and she says. I look pretty good for a dead bitch, don't I? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, wonderful. Mm-hmm. That's how about how I feel. Mm-hmm. But you're back. Uh, yeah, I'm back. I, I'm yeah, I'm freelancing at Inverse mm-hmm. again. Um, so back on uh, you know limited and weird hours, but mm-hmm. but back nonetheless. Mm-hmm. I don't know. That's all I did this week. I don't have any exciting stories about natural disasters or seeing my family mm-hmm. or getting stuck in airports. Yeah. I just stayed home and wrote silly little things about video games. Yeah. On to more, you know, traditional programming. We have both been playing video games. Yeah. Different ones. But we (laughs) found a unifying thing between them that led to a spontaneous uh, moment where we both came up with the same idea for, for an episode. Once again, proving our drift compatibility. I know. I recently... I recently re- watch I rewatched Pacific Rim recently oh as in like a couple months ago because I was like okay. you know what this movie fucking recent. rocks Pacific Rim yeah. that movie holds up so good I haven't rewatched it but it I remember that it fucking ruled when yeah. I saw it I love that movie anyways yeah. um, and Tron your two favorite movies hell yeah oh my god Tron Identity was a um was a clue or was an answer in the New York Times crossword puzzle Wow. Yeah, because Zoe does the crossword like on her phone every day and she was mm-hmm. doing it and then she just like tapped me and she showed me and it was blank identity 2000 whatever. Um, That was a clue. And I was like, Tron, hell yeah. Oh, I know him. That's Tron. I know that guy. Uh, Yeah. So but the thing that we wanted to talk about was that I have been playing Sea of Stars and you have been playing Bomb Rush Cyberfunk. This is true. Yeah, so both of these games, the unifying thing about them is they're kind of both in the vein of like nostalgia-driven games where they're inspired by like classic games of old that are much beloved. Mm -hmm. And I thought it'd be interesting to talk about what we thought about our individual games and kind of like go into a conversation about this like unique genre in its own right. So I think maybe... You, do you want to just start off talking about Bomb Rush and your thoughts? Sure. For folks who aren't aware, Bomb Rush Cyberpunk is basically a spiritual sequel to Jet Set Radio slash uh, Jet Set Radio Future. 
um, slash jet grind radio, depending on where you played this game. But basically, that those were uh, Dreamcast and then later Xbox games that were about skating around and painting graffiti and being cool as fuck and it being the 90s. Yeah, I mean, you know, it had an extremely distinctive visual style, uh, one of like an early cell shaded type uh, looking game that like kind of, you know, helped popularize that format for a while. Also had an extremely cool and influential soundtrack uh, with lots of hip hop on it, which is like not a thing that was like, I mean, still like not really a thing that a lot of games do and certainly wasn't then. Yeah, it's it's a game that I think has has maintained a cult following and has kind of like probably inspired a lot of you know uh, a lot of other a lot of developers and a lot of people who are like involved in games in ways that don't seem obvious because it was such a specific style it's not like they were cribbing that style as much but i think that it wormed its way into a lot of people's brains including mine will knows i've been talking a lot about bomber cyberpunk this past year and how excited i am for it to to come out uh so that i could you know pretend to be a, a young child playing dreamcast again instead of the jaded old lady i am now so i played bomber cyberpunk and i don't really like it wah, wah, wah. i'm very sad about that um yeah i don't know i i so i actually reviewed this game for a site called game crate which i'm also freelancing for doing doing exclusive reviews for them and I, so I started playing it and I, very quickly I was like, this feels a little weird, a little off, you know, it's maybe it's just going to take its time to kind of like spin up and get really exciting and cool. Like I'm still sure it's going to, cause my little heart will break if it's not, but yeah, it didn't really ever come together for me. I think the thing that I sort of focus uh, on in my review is the idea that like what made Jet Set Radio so influential was it's style and its originality and the fact that it was like doing all these things that you couldn't get anywhere else and doing them extremely well and it just had like so much personality like there are characters from that game that people still remember very fondly and even just very specific like voice lines and just the whole kind of vibe of it was was you know really stuck with people and i think what bomb rush cyberpunk does is kind of emulate that as opposed to coming up with ways to impart that feeling to people they just kind of they they emulated the things that inspired those feelings as opposed to the, the feeling itself which is sort of a bummer uh i mean it's it's a big bummer but um i don't know the thing that really struck me about it was that the things that i that i liked the most about bomber cyberpunk were the things that it it added the kind of 90s cool style, the fact that you like, you know, sort of like dance in, in cutscenes when you're sitting still, you can press a button to break dance, like the hip hop soundtrack, these cool graphics, like those things are all neat, but they don't really add up to anything. Like they, they, they feel a little like the gameplay in particular is just like quite dull and doesn't really doesn't match the excitement of the presentation. The parts that I do think were really interesting were like there are these segments where you kind of like go into the main character's head like his psyche basically and there are these incredible like psychedelic levels of like these um like cities twisting in on each other and there'll be some that are made of these like these little tiny little like planetoids that have buildings all over them and you're jumping from one to the other or like there's one where you're like riding dolphins for a while through the ocean and like 
street lamps that are coming sideways out of like the side of a building and just these really surreal environments that become almost like little like like platformers on skates which was like really fucking interesting and fun to do and and really original and those segments are so brief like they only each last like a couple of minutes and they were the thing that i came away from this like wanting more of and i think that's what like i i was really thinking about this idea of nostalgia when i played it because it was like all of the elements that were cool about jet set radio are here but they're just not exciting anymore whereas all of these new things that were like playing off the vibe of that original stuff but like giving us something new to do were actually really cool i don't know i think a lot of the games that we've been looking forward to in the past year have been these sort of like quote-unquote retro inspired games and it just made me really kind of step back and look like okay well the thing maybe the thing i i want so much isn't that they are inspired by the things that I used to like. Like, it's not that I'm looking for that same experience. It's that I want to feel as, as surprised as I did back when these things happened. Yeah. And I'm really curious how, how sea of stars, it kind of sits with you in that regard. Does the, does the nostalgia stuff work for you? Does the new stuff it adds work for you? Like, how's it landing for you so far? Yeah. So Sea of Stars, for like those who don't know it, is this game from Sabotage Studio who previously made The Messenger, which is like a famously like a Ninja Gaiden inspired game. Um, But Sea of Stars is mainly a Chrono Trigger inspired game or there's a lot of discussion about using this term now, but I think, frankly, it's still the easiest way to describe Sea of Stars is the developers say they were inspired by like 90s jrpgs mm-hmm. so they talk about chrono trigger uh super super mario rpg they even talk about chrono cross which is actually one that i want to I'll, I'll like bring up again but so that's kind of the gist of it but it's a you know 2d pixel art style game i think one of the things that jumps out at me at me initially is that this game is gorgeous and it does the thing that i think is really fun about some nostalgia based games which is the pixel animation on this game is so high quality that it's obviously n- would never have been possible on the like SNES, but it gives you that vibe um, in such a great way that it's just like these animations are so stunning. It's a, it's a very gorgeous game. But um, overall, the like story I felt is pretty like formulaic for kind of like a fantasy RPG. You are um, these two characters valir and zale they're called solstice warriors which are essentially they have moon powers and sun powers like valir has moon zale has sun and their whole thing is that they are they exist to defeat these creatures called dwellers that exist in the world that are these like harbingers of doom basically and if they exist long enough they'll bring about like a world eating creature who will destroy the world and so they on the eclipse their powers like grow strong and they can defeat dwellers And the first like third of the game is about defeating a dweller and you're like collecting your party and you have your childhood friend is with you also and you are going to defeat the dweller. And after that moment, I I would say the first like seven, eight hours of this game are honestly the game's prologue. Like everything that happens up until you defeat the first dweller is really setting the stage for everything that comes. And 
Then there's a twist, which honestly isn't very shocking, but it's like it happens and then more stuff happens. And then there's a second twist that like leads you into the final stage of the game. And then you go on and you beat the game. And then um, as is traditional for like a game that was inspired by Chrono Trigger, um, there is a new game plus where you can basically get the true real ending. And overall, I found my experience with this game is it's about 30 hours to kind of get to like a true ending, um, about 25 to get to the first ending, because you don't have to like replay the whole game to get to a true ending. You just have to like accomplish some side tasks and stuff. But my feeling as I've been playing it is it feels like comfort food in the way that I think a lot of nostalgic based games kind of aim for, where it's not doing anything revolutionary but it hits the vibe just enough to feel like, oh yeah, this is kind of the thing I enjoy. It reminds me enough about the game that it's inspired by that I can just go through pretty simply. And like, it has that like very video gamey thing where just tasks keep adding up in a very simple sequential manner where it's like, well, you have to go defeat this dweller but to defeat the dweller you actually need to unlock this place and the only way to get a key to that place is you have to go talk to this guy but he needs you to do this task so you just are like doing this and that kind of just keeps happening and there's something satisfying to it where it's like because the story is honestly kind of simplistic and like predictable but like good enough you just feel like you can almost mindlessly go through these tasks which can be satisfying but I find that Sea of Stars never reaches the heights of its inspirations. And honestly, one of my biggest criticisms of Sea of Stars is that I think the combat is really messy, which is like Chrono Trigger, Sea of Stars is based on like it's a party turn it's a turn-based party, you know, combat system. And the big thing about it is that you can do like combo attacks with other party members. But then there's so many other things. It gets so messy. There's you have combo attacks, you have like magic and you have physical attacks. Um, you also have a essentially like a boost system, kind of like an octopath where it's like when you don't have enough MP to do magic, if you do physical attacks, it releases orbs from enemies and then you can absorb orbs to do like powered attacks. But then also... Sometimes enemies will have what are called locks, which are basically like if you've played Persona or Octopath um, Traveler, it's essentially how, you know, there's elemental weaknesses and stuff on enemies. And if you hit them in the right elemental weakness, you break them and they won't attack the next round. Then on top of that, there's also a like double attack system and a block system where when you attack, if you press the A button at the right time when you attack, you like do an extra hit. And then also when an enemy attacks you, if you press the button like right when they're attacking, you like block it and it inflicts less damage. So there's like a million things going on in combat and it feels a little messy. And I don't think all of these were necessary because most of combat you just kind of go through. And like, if you're just playing the game, you level fine. There's no grinding necessary, which means that kind of um, 
combat feels pretty simple. Like you can just kind of run through it and like you never feel too challenged um, outside of some like side content bosses and the end game. I was comparing it to Octopath Traveler 2, which uh, their combat system, which is mostly about breaking and boosting, which I still think Octopath Octopath Traveler 2's turn-based system is like nearly perfect. It's so good and it feels so satisfying, like thinking about the strategy of that system where Sea of Stars is so chock full of systems, but none of them feel meaningful enough. What it comes down to for Sea of Stars is I feel like they they almost shot themselves in the foot like a lot of other nostalgia-based games that we'll get into, where you're comparing yourself to Chrono Trigger, which is arguably like from like by most people, if they make a list, Chrono Trigger is typically like number one as the best mm-hmm. video game ever made. <laughs> and so if you're like, we're like Chrono Trigger people are going to have such high expectations and you're never going to be able to meet them. And so I just think it never does. And like, I'm not going to get into spoilers too much, but there's a late game twist that happens that kind of opens up sea of stars in a way that comes close to reaching the like interesting narrative and mechanics of chrono trigger, but it's way too late in the game that they don't, get to really see it to its full like potential Mm. and it feels like a missed opportunity so i've come away from sea of stars being like it's good it's competent i think it's good comfort food especially if you like the style of game but it's not doing anything extremely new or special which i think begins to lead us to interesting ideas of like the genre as a whole of nostalgia driven games yeah it's interesting that the previous game from the studio was as you mentioned the messenger which i think is a very successful example of this um if you haven't played then a messenger it starts out yeah as like a you know like 8-bit side scroller ninja gaiden kind of thing but once you reach a certain point in the game it turns into like a more like snes inspired uh, like the, literally like the graphics change and the way you can control your character change. So it, there's a sort of like self-consciousness to the way that it invokes, invokes these retro styles where it is like not just emulating the way that those games played, but like kind of playing on your nostalgia for them to like to pin those as different eras and as different like, I don't know, types of gameplay. And I think there's like, there's a way in which that's like the more successful way to do it. As opposed to, like you said, trying to just emulate one of the best games ever made. It's like, well, okay, let's let's see the things that like people liked about those games, but also the kind of like signifiers that we attach to them and like make those sort of like technological or graphical signifiers actually significant in the way that the game plays as well. I think it was just like such a genius move that it sounds like maybe this uh, Sea of Stars didn't quite have that. Um, and I think it's a, the kind of thing like most of these type of games don't really go for. They just go for the emulation and, and hope that that will be enough. Yeah, I, um, I'll i find it for you because I just recently read a interesting interview with the creative director of Sabotage Studio, who like mm-hmm. was a big part of development on The Messenger and Sea of Stars. And he was talking about like the difficulties that come with doing a obviously like retro inspired game when you're comparing it to like classic titles 
And he was talking about the idea of like, if you're going to make a game that people are going to compare to Chrono Trigger, you fall into this difficult situation where you can't do what Chrono Trigger did because you're never going to be able to do what Chrono Trigger did as good as it. So you want to do something else, but then there will always be people who are like, but you're not doing Chrono Trigger. So you you have to find that like middle ground. And I do think it comes to like this very interesting question of how you make games like this, where it's like, you have to figure out if you're like just making it to emulate what they did, or you're like kind of like using your place as removed from that era to like make some kind of larger commentary on it. And I think both ways can be successful. It's just hard in my mind. I think it's harder to do the just like pure emulation version of it, which I think where is where Sea of Stars kind of fails a little bit. And I think it's it's interesting because like obviously these games have like come to fruition because people you know, it's like that thing that people always talk about of like the 20 year nostalgia cycle or whatever, mm-hmm. like the nostalgia cycles. It's like people want games like when they were a kid or they want to type, they want to remember what it was like to play a game back then, which I think you kind of got at a bit. It's like you want a game that feels as like inventive or something as the game when you originally played it. And I don't know what it is about like, certain games specifically like Chrono Trigger that inspires so much um, attempts at emulation, obviously just because it's so popular, but yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think being great (laughs) is part of why, but it was also, yeah, I mean, it was a weird game. Like it it wasn't, it wasn't just like a solidly made game. It Mm -hmm. was a game that like, I think did a lot of stuff that people hadn't seen before. That's why people liked it. And it's also why it's kind of impossible to just do that straight emulation because We've we've seen that before because Chrono Trigger exists. I think it's also because like when it comes to games that are so iconic like Chrono Trigger, they were the first games to do some like something unique in their own right. But because now we're like 30 years or like 20 and some years removed from Mm -hmm. Chrono Trigger. Gaming at large has just started taking what Chrono Trigger did and it's become more ubiquitous throughout. Yeah. So it totally. feels less special to emulate something that Chrono Trigger did unless you have a unique twist on it. Yeah. And for anyone who hasn't played Chrono Trigger, just to say that the unique twist we're talking about is that you can have a uh, frog with a sword in your party. And truly, what else do you need in a game? That was, yeah, that was yeah. the that was the big thing about Chrono Trigger. Um, <laughs> no, um, you can time travel. The big thing in Chrono Trigger is that it's a time travel game, and you like go back and forth between a bunch of different time time periods in the world, and it like changes outcomes. And there's like multiple endings based on like how you go through the timelines. You can find the ending earlier or like a better ending. There's like there's New Game Plus, um, which was a big thing at the time where you go through it again. And it's like, oh, you can find different wrinkles and stuff, um, which was like really cool. Uh, but now like things like that are kind of more normal. Uh, mm-hmm. The game that I was actually really interested in when I was playing uh, Sea of Stars is Chrono Cross, which is the which is a sequel to Chrono Trigger. But it it itself tries to differentiate from Chrono Trigger because it's like. You know, they were like, oh, oh, fuck, we made Chrono Trigger. <laughs> yeah, oh, no. How do we follow up Chrono Trigger? <laughs> and 
And Sea of Stars like ends up being more of a Chrono Cross type of game. Interesting. In that, I also think though that Sea of Stars then fails in some of the same ways that Chrono Cross does because mm-hmm. of that. And then, funnily enough, I was thinking about Cross Code, <laughs> which is <laughs> the other, uh, you know, retro. This is just the word association. I know. <laughs> which is then the other Chrono Trigger inspired game that's like a you know 2D um, pixelated adventure game, but I think like. Without getting too much into cross code, I think what cross what cross code does with its world and its narrative, like I'm a big fan of where cross code goes, mm-hmm. despite it being a bit opt- like uh, a bit big and long. Um, it's too long. It's way too long of a game. It definitely but it does rule. I think it definitely had a unique vision where it was like we have our you know gimmick, we have our weird thing mm-hmm. that makes us special, and I like that, and that's why I like crosscode a lot out of these like inspired games yeah totally and it was like not the same it's not the same twist as chrono trigger at mm-hmm. all it's not even like it's not even like a take on mm-hmm. that same thing like it's it's mm-hmm. i think it's recognizing that that the originality of it and the the unexpected like thing behind the story is what was what was attractive to people not the specifics my thing about this like has to do with sea of stars more and i think we should try to move on from sea of stars after this uh but the thing about sea of stars is that they do have a twist that i think gets close to being chrono trigger ish near the end like i mentioned but the issue is they hold it off so long yet the game is so and not in not inherently in a negative way the game is predictable you can Mm -hmm. see where twists are going and they allude to things a lot to the point where you're like oh this is gonna happen i know this is coming that's gonna be cool i know it's coming and then you keep playing for like 20 hours and you're like i i i thought something was gonna happen and it just kind of doesn't and then eventually like after the 20 hour mark it does but then the game ends like by the 27 hour mark before you get into new game plus and you're like oh i like you did a twist that i kind of expected but you didn't give me enough time to actually enjoy where it would go after mm-hmm. that um which is i think one of the big cruxes of why of stars has a little bit of a problem yeah but i want to move like to talking about just some other games in this genre um i also think it's so fascinating that's like the nostalgia re- or like retro inspired, I guess, is the word. The retro inspired genre is its own thing, even though there's so many genres within it, because like, mm-hmm. obviously, you know, Sea of Stars is not Bomber Cyberfunk is not The Messenger is not Crosscode. And even though there are so many games that like, of course, like take inspiration from influential games that came before them, but that aren't like wearing that quite as much on their sleeve like they aren't billing themselves mm-hmm. as these like ah oh, the a, a return to the you know the ideas of chrono mm-hmm. trigger or whatever like there are plenty of games out there like that of course draw inspiration from the things that came before but this is a very specific case of which games are like that is kind of like their selling point which mm-hmm. is a, a an interesting tack to take yeah i mean i've talked about this a lot but I think this is like tangential to this conversation. Square Enix is honestly a really interesting company for this conversation because so many of the like smaller games or like side games that they make outside of like Final Fantasy, I think are having this conversation with like the idea of retro inspired, Mm -hmm. like Octopath Traveler, 
or Triangle Strategy or Harvestella, like all these games where they're like loosely inspired by the like grand 90s RPGs of Square Enix, but they're trying to do interesting things and like build on it. Um, but they're not necessarily like not all of these are being billed as like we're a retro inspired thing. Octopath Traveler obviously is, but like other ones are not. So that's just like super interesting. Um, one of the things you were talking about is like the idea of having an like an aspect of meta commentary in there, which I think is an interesting aspect of what these games can do. And one of the ones I wanted to like talk about as an interesting example of this is Tunic, because Tunic in in many ways is a retro inspired game. It is totally. obviously like a Zelda like, and it is in converse, but it is in conversation with Zelda and the idea of what it is like to play Zelda, but it's also not like, one for one a zelda like where it's not it's not like top down or it's not you know like 3d zelda it's a little weirder it's like mixing mm-hmm. zelda with some more modern inclinations of like i mean i know it sounds like cliche to say it but but it's trying to be a little bit dark soulsy mm-hmm. um it is but the whole thing like the big thing about tunic is it's meta commentary with the like game manual like I want to talk about that and how that's an interesting like aspect of what these games can do. Yeah. Well, and like we were saying before, like the part of the game, the part of Tunic that we both liked Mm -hmm. was that finding the instruction manual thing. Whereas the like, you know, Zelda inspired combat or whatever, we were both like pretty cool on. But then there's this one element that's like, oh yeah, that's great. Which is, yeah, I don't know, an even more interesting take on it, I think, where like a lot of these retro games are trying to recreate what it felt like to play those old games. This is recreating the feeling of like, not those games itself, but of of you, of you sitting and playing your game and having this little instruction booklet and flipping through the pages and maybe, you know, not having the full information about it and having to like talk to people and like find out what's, you know, their their tips or whatever, or like, you're missing a page of this book, so you need to try to like you know piece it together. It's recreating not just the experience of playing the game, but the experience of like what it was like to play games in general back then. It's recreating a world before the internet like spoiled every aspect of the mm-hmm. game for you before it existed and before you could look up strategy guides for everything. Uh, and yeah, I think that's just like such an interesting idea to explore. It's. It's not the nostalgia for the game. It's the nostalgia for the era in which these games were created and being played. Sorry, that was a good point. And then I was like, yeah, definitely. Thank you. I mean, I was just thinking about this in general, like when it comes to these games, um, I think a big question in my mind is always, is it even possible? And are there examples of these types of games that are better than the games that inspired them? And I think the obvious answer for me is that, like, by and large, no. But there are some examples that are better, and at least in my opinion. I don't know. What's your take on that? Yeah, I think that's, like, I think that's really tough. It's extremely hard to have a proportionate take on, like, how how good these classic games were. Mm-hmm. Where it's, like, comparing any game to, like, Ocarina of Time or Chrono Trigger or all of these things, it's always going to be so colored by both your own nostalgia and the cultural legacy of those games. Comparing like quality and which is like better feels kind of like a lost cause Mm -hmm. because 
you're comparing a game that has only recently been released and so you all you have to judge it on is the game itself Mm -hmm. you're comparing that to the this like artifact that has so much meaning and you know what it inspired and you know how you felt about it back in the day and you know how the culture talks about it and you know all the developers who have said without this game my game wouldn't exist so at a certain point i think it's like kind of a fool's errand to compare like modern games to like these old kind of classic ones in a i don't know aesthetic sense Mm -hmm. you can only really i think you can only judge these games on their own merits because comparing them to the things that inspired them is so murky cool then we won't do that i guess (laughs) no i mean like i'm if you i tell me why i'm dumb like no 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 i mean i think you have a great you're a very intelligent great point that you made (laughs) I mean, you're right, because it is hard to, like, compare a game with, you know, like a behemoth of a thing that is not just its gameplay and story, but is now a legacy. Um, But I was I'm like the things I was thinking of mainly were Shovel Knight and Hollow Knight. Mm-hmm. But then also more than any, like either of those, honestly, is Stardew Valley is the one that I think of the most because Stardew Valley totally. came into existence because Harvest Moon was very beloved. And then the developer of Stardew Valley was like, well, I want that, but like mo- more modern, better and to fix some things mm-hmm. and ended up kind of making the definitive experience of that kind of genre. And it's weird because it is obviously you can't have Stardew Valley without having Harvest Moon. So does that yeah. mean that Har- that Harvest Moon is inherently better? But I think Stardew Valley is better. Yeah. But is that also just because it's modern and there's like more quality of life? I don't I think that's actually a really interesting case because like a lot of these other ones are like very, very mm-hmm. much inspired by these old games and very much trying to emulate them. But like are doing their own things. Mm-hmm. Whereas Stardew Valley is pretty much just like, what if I made a better version of mm-hmm. this? Not to say that it's like unoriginal or whatever, but it's like so close to what Harvest Moon was doing, but like fixing some very specific issues the developer had that it is almost like it's easier to compare because you're less, um, I don't know, entranced by... I, I also, I, for me at least, I was never a big Harvest Moon mm-hmm. person. So it's that kind of like that cloudiness I was talking about just doesn't exist for me. I think a good point of comparison that I actually think about a lot is um, Pokemon. Because mm-hmm. Pokemon is obviously like Pokemon is just more than a game at this point. It is like a cultural yes. phenomenon, which I think is the reason why there has, in my opinion, never been a Pokemon inspired game that has ever managed to come close to pokemon and it just never will which is odd though what about monster rancher <laughs> i don't even know what that is <laughs> you know oh my god i'm being old again mm-hmm. i'm sorry but like it's never going to be as good but then it's also a weird thing in itself where pokemon can't be pokemon yeah because like the modern pokemon is also never as good as the old pokemon mm-hmm not to mention when you get to the idea of like, I think there's something so interesting about retro inspired also, where obviously it's such a generic term because we've just used retro inspired now to mean like mostly 90s, like SNES, mm-hmm. um, which is why Bomb Rush Cyberfunk was interesting to me because it's like it is retro inspired or nostalgic for a different time and a different 
style and a different console. And I was like, I don't have any off the top of my head that I could think of, but I'm like, when are we going to get the PlayStation 3, Xbox 360 inspired games? I'm like, what does that even mean? I Like, what yeah. are you capturing at that point? I mean, yeah, like that broad of a thing, mm-hmm. I think is interesting because like, I think particularly if you go back to like the NES, there was a pretty specific ceiling to a lot of things like technically. Mm-hmm. There was a way these games were going to look and sound and even to an extent feel that had a kind of similarity to them. But then like with each successive generation, developers are both like more practiced at making games and have more examples to draw from and have these technological limits being, you know, constantly extended that games are just always becoming more and more and more diverse. When you have a game that can be that's like nostalgic for you know the original the original mario games or the original zelda game or whatever it's both inspired by those things but it also kind of collapses all of the nes into one idea and you can kind of draft on the nostalgia for that whereas i don't think you have that Mm -hmm. by the time we get to like the 360 i mean people will sometimes compare some games like oh this feels like an xbox 360 game or whatever or this feels like you know an original xbox game But that's like such a more nebulous concept Mm -hmm. that to me is more about like budget and about like the kind of jankiness of of early 3D action games in particular. Yeah, on that like same kind of idea, it makes me think of the whole PS1 horror trend Mm -hmm. and those kind of games and what they try to do and the idea of like for the horror. It's so interesting that they like pick the horror genre specifically in this age because they're the whole idea is like looking at these titles and being like, how did the limitations of the tech work to help the genre? And obviously like one of the key things is Silent Hill is the one I always think of. And the idea Mm -hmm. that Silent Hill's, you know, famous fog that feels so constricting and disorienting and is so iconic and it, it like helps make that game what it is, was a product of limitations on the hardware because they they did that so that they wouldn't be rendering like big spaces Mm -hmm. and thinking about now even though we have the technology to like we have the technology to make him better um (laughs) but (laughs) even though like we have the tech now to like do it better thinking in a technologically limited way in order to like do creative innovation that like makes interesting things and like Obviously, I'm going to beat the drum, but Signalis, mm-hmm. kind of a a great example of this, of how they take the idea of PS1 horror and they use it all to like go beyond the inspiration, but they start from a point of really trying to understand the genre. And I guess, I mean, the, the thing that I always think about with these games is it comes down to... I think the most successful versions of these games, the best versions are always the ones that do not only try to emulate, but seek to intrinsically understand like the design of what made this good beyond just we now love it. And I think that's the core of it more than anything, because once you do that, you can do one of two things. You can then emulate it well, or you can then have the understanding of being like, now I know how to do the like more meta commentary on the time of the game and how it inspired things, which leads to games like, you know, Hollow Knight 
being beloved because I think Hollow Knight understands the core of like what make what made a Metroidvania of that era that it's like looking to work so well and why that game doesn't need the aesthetic like connection of being pixelated Mm -hmm. it can be unique in that way because the the feel of it just feels right yeah yeah i was curious when you mentioned hollow knight because like i you know it is a metroidvania but to me it doesn't it doesn't strike me as the same kind of retro inspired Mm -hmm. thing like it's i think largely because metroidvania itself has become like a genre but it is interesting to look at it through that that lens of like there are plenty of Metroidvania games that just take that structure and kind of, you know, build a game around and whatever. Whereas, yeah, Hollow Knight does does do a lot of things to uh, to capture the feeling of like the games mm-hmm. that, that the term was named after, you know. Um, you also mentioned Shovel Knight at the same time, which I think is an interesting example because that came. I think it was like one of the early examples of this sort of like thing becoming a genre, mm-hmm. like a very like self-consciously uh referential game that is like made to look like a game from a previous console and made to feel like one from the gameplay to like the way that the like story is presented and things and i think it's still like of that like kind of subtype of these games i think it's still one of the most successful i agree i um i wrote about shovel knight like for inverse for an anniversary and one of the things i said about it that i i i feel like is actually very apl- applicable to the like whatever we're going to decide are the like good nostalgia retro inspired games which is that i said okay so i'm going to read a bit of it because i thought it was i liked what i said so this is in an article i wrote for the eight-year anniversary of shovel knight and i think there's an idea here that applies to games at large that are doing retro inspired so mm-hmm. quote The Greek philosopher Plato had a theory called Platonic Realism. It is the idea that abstract objects... That's the most Willa thing you've ever written in an article about fucking Shovel Knight. I know. It is the idea that abstract objects have universal qualities that exist objectively. A common thought experiment to illustrate the idea is to think of a cup. What does that cup look like? Is it circular, shallow, or deep? What defines its cupness? Now, if you pick up a real cup, it might not perfectly resemble your ideal cup, but it is a cup nonetheless. Shovel Knight is the platonic ideal of an NES platformer. Its art style perfectly resembles what your brain imagines DuckTales looks like. The gameplay feels just as responsive as you imagine Mega Man feels. But neither of those things are true. Shovel Knight looks better. It plays better. You're so smart. (laughs) Thank you. And I think that this is like kind of illustrates what the best of these games do, which is it understands and it goes beyond and it does. It makes you feel it captures the feeling. It makes you feel like what those games felt like. But with modern sensibilities in a way that like improves it beyond that. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, that's, that's yeah, that's you did it. <laughs> and that's that on that. Yeah. Girl mode out. <laughs> I actually had a wrench I wanted to throw into this for you. Great. Okay. Now hear me out. Is not yeah. every game just a retro nostalgia inspired game to an extent? Oftentimes, because yeah. every video game is working based off of what other video games have done before them. 
I feel like you could say that about literally anything <laughs> exactly. that exists on planet Earth. <laughs> is not uncharted. There's no new thing under the sun. Is not yeah, uncharted yeah. just Tomb Raider. I mean, I mean, I mean, yeah, yes. yes, that one. That one is <laughs> that actually yes. for sure. Yes, is not is not uh, Dead Space just Resident Evil Four in space? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that's like part of what we we're getting at earlier, which is like the the line between what's a game that is like retro inspired and what's a game that is just like. Mm-hmm the way that everything is yeah. in the world and inspired by what came before it is like it's it's I think it's an interesting question actually. One of the reasons I like games like this, by and large, is I think oftentimes there's a there's a developmental like ethos behind these that kind of eschews a modern drive for quality in like graphics. Mm-hmm. Better, faster, prettier, yeah. bigger is like the ethos so much. Yeah, yeah. And like it kind of throws that away a lot of times obviously that's not entirely true they're still going for like a lot of aesthetic quality like sea of stars for example is just straight up gorgeous um Mm -hmm. and they put a lot of work into that to be pleasing but i think they're really trying to and it is what you said at the beginning so like i guess the last hour was pointless and we could have just stopped when you said smart stuff but it's kind of like they're (laughs) they're trying to capture what it felt like to play some of these games when you first played them where it felt innovative and interesting and it like sparked that love and they're just trying to do that again which i admire that's why i like these games Mm -hmm. so much and i play so much of them yeah totally Mm -hmm. so keep them coming keep (laughs) yeah yeah i i think that brings up an interesting thing that i i wanted to bring up which is just like that idea of like it's trying to recapture the feeling you had when you first played this game. I think that feeling can be deployed in such different ways that I think I think you can kind of illustrate with like two games that I really like that are like could not be more different. And well, the, okay, I guess three games that I really like. Well, okay, a game that I really like and a developer that I really like that couldn't be more different. And one is the first one I'm going to say is Gato Roboto. Which I think is a game you have not played. You've right? told me many times before. to play it, and I just haven't. It's basically like it's it's Metroid again with these very like Game Boy style graphics, where you play as a little cat who finds a mech suit, and you're going through these little tunnels and trying to find a way to repair the spaceship so you can escape. And it's like what I think is really interesting about Gato Roboto is like it does recreate like things graphically and like it feels very much like playing those old games. But what, what really fascinates me about it is that it's a, it's a really short game. It's like two or three hours long. And so when you had a game like Metroid, it was um, this, it felt like this slow crawl through these tunnels. And every time you find this like upgrade, it's like this momentous occasion in the game that like opens a new path. It, it opens all these different possibilities and got to Roboto like, by like condensing it down into this like much like shorter more digestible form you were like constantly finding these new upgrades and constantly fighting these like really inventive bosses and i think it's a really interesting look at like this is why we liked this game this is why this game works let's just make a game about that it's it's it just takes that core of the experience that was so special and it's just like let's not think about like how do we expand this? How do we make these different things? How do we build a core, like a, you know, a shell around it? It's just like, this is the thing we want to get at. So we're going to focus on making that singular experience, like the experience of playing the game. And I think that's really a really interesting way to translate 
uh, that type of old game, like very literally and very specifically. And on the other side of that, uh, I, I started saying a game, but then I realized I was actually talking about basically this, this developer's, most of this developer's catalog, which is, of course, say it with me now, Analgesic Productions, um, my favorite game developer. Uh, <laughs> it, I think this applies to a lot of their games, but I think it, it feels especially sharp to me in Anodyne 2 and in Stephanie, which are games that are absolutely like in their in their look very uh, uh, inspired by retro games, particularly like the sort of PS1 era games. And also in their gameplay, there's a lot of platforming there. And, and even, even beyond that, there's sort of a tone to, I think, a lot of the writing in these games that feels like the sort of slightly offbeat way that the game, like, you know, game dialogue was written that way. But it's deployed in such a different way where... They don't feel like games that were PS1 platformers. They, they they look and they, in terms of gameplay, feel that way. But the way that the game, it's like playing the game makes you feel is a very different experience. And I think it's using the aesthetics and the gameplay of an extremely familiar type of game to sort of like lull you in this sense of nostalgia and like comfort and then use that comfort, like subvert that to give you these very strange, like, very strange stories. Uh, Anodyne 2 in particular, like there's tons of different kinds of gameplay that are all inspired by older types of games. Like there's literally like a part that's like a text adventure. There's like a top-down kind of style. There's like a 3D platformer thing. There are driving segments. There's weird rhythm mini games. Like it takes all of these different types of gameplay that feel like they belong in older games, but it puts it into a story that's extremely like of the modern era and like has a lot to say about how the story, like a story being presented in the way that an older game like that would be presented gives you a very limited view of, it kind of shapes your expectation and your interpretation of a story and uses that to instead surprise you with where the story goes. It's a thing that I think Stephanie also plays with in a really interesting way. Like it's a game about the past and a game about legacy and history and, you know, what is lost when you move from generation to generation and i think by situating it like aesthetically in an older generation but with all of these ideas and these story elements and these technological improvements that belong to the modern era they use your your nostalgia and their own retro aesthetics to both reinforce those ideas of nostalgia and also subvert your expectations for what that nostalgia will do to you like it's not just it's not just going to comfort you like there is there's a lot of challenge and a lot of pain sometimes that comes with you know giving yourself over to nostalgia and i think these are games that are like really interested in that idea and what it means and okay i'll i'll stop there you're you've (laughs) you've listened to me do this so many times but yeah i I think like for me that that is like that is like the um the best possible example of this like it is it is recreating all of those things that made those games so so wonderful but also giving you an entirely not just a new a new story and a new experience with them but a new lens through which to view both those old games and these new experiences they're yes they're wonderful thank you for coming to my TED talk for more of robin talking about analgesic and <laughs> stephanie go listen to our um our signalis listen to any and, other episode yeah. of our podcast or anything i've yeah. ever read go listen to our signalis and stephanie episode from yeah from way back that was a good episode. Mm-hmm.
But yeah, besides these uh, these retro games, what have you been up to? Yeah, um, again, I don't have like a huge, you know, callback to go on. Um, as, as you can see, I'm still not done mm-hmm. unpacking. You're making progress, also, though. I'm making progress. <laughs> this little corner is getting better every yeah. time you see it. You know, and also just starting working more and stuff, which is great, which actually sort of brought me to the one thing that I also actually thing that I have played this week, which is a game from 2018 from Nomada Studio that we both really love, which is called Grease. Oh, yeah. Uh, it's a, uh, you know, a very short little platformer, very mechanically simple platformer. What's so appealing about it is that it's gorgeous. It looks gorgeous. It sounds gorgeous. And it has this really moving story about a and, and metaphorical, I would say. I think what I like about this game and I, I write about it. So the reason I, I was playing this game is because the actually the first piece that I wrote back for Inverse is uh, is about Greece. Uh, it won't be published until like next week, I think, because that's when it's coming to Game Pass. But, um, you know, to play that, that to write that piece, I just, I just played through Greece again because it takes just a couple hours. And I found it, again, like just as moving as it was the first time and just as beautiful to to look at and to listen to. Uh, and I think the a thing that it got some criticism for when it came out, but something that I think is actually like a strength of it is that it doesn't tell a specific story about like what this girl has gone through. And it's like her healing process. Like it is entirely metaphorical and non-representational. And some people I think wanted it to tell a more clear story of what had happened and what she was going through to like kind of rebuild herself. But it doesn't do that at all. It just, it just tells you this is a woman who has experienced trauma and who has lost her sense of self. And now she has to go on this journey to rediscover color the like the idea of beauty and the idea of there being life in the world around her that is worth interacting with and just how how her conception of herself and her conception of the world around her changes as she is able to kind of like grow and get over that and rebuild her her sense of identity and that's you know it's a really powerful thing and i think it it worked really well when i played the first time and it worked just as well this time um if you haven't played grace it's i i i absolutely love this game i think it's fantastic yeah and i'm just glad that i had a, a reason to to go back and play it again this week um so yeah that's my shout out for this week uh how about you what have you been up to aside from surviving hurricanes and earthquakes and raleigh north carolina yeah so after i rolled credits on sea of stars but before i got like the true ending i took a small break to play another game for like maybe an hour. I've only played like an hour of it, but I still want to talk about it, Mm -hmm. Um, which is I have been playing Cosmic Wheel Sisterhood. Ooh, Uh, I'm excited. Yeah, which the the real person that should be on here to talk about this is Zoe, because Mm -hmm. when I wasn't playing uh, Sea of Stars, like when I was doing, when I was still like working in LA, she finally got to have the switch back because uh, I had been hogging it. And she was like, I'm going to play Cosmic Girl Sisterhood. So she's basically done with the game. And then she was like, you need to play it now. So I started it. It's very good. I really like it so far. It's very, very interesting. Um, it's basically about a witch who is imprisoned and then she summons a demon and then they make tarot cards and chat about life. Writing's really good. The the like deck building is really fun. You basically get like an MS paint thing where you get to make cards. I'm really, mm-hmm. really getting into it. I'm super excited to see where it goes. You have to like, you make a bunch of like small dialogue choices and they keep telling you every time they're like, this will change your story dramatically. And I was like, oh no. 
I'm liking a lot. I'm very interested to see where it goes. It's it's really fun. So that's what I've been playing outside of Sea of Stars. The other thing I wanted to shout out is late to the party, but Zoe and I finally have been watching The Bear season two. It's good. Show's good. Cool. <laughs> I've been liking season two uh, a lot more than I liked season one. Uh, when I watched season one of The Bear, I, I finished it all and I was like, that was good. But there's some things about it that I was like a little off and I just didn't love. But season two has been firing on all cylinders. It's really, really fun. Besides episode six, which was way too stressful for me that I wanted to turn it off. And it was like horrible to to experience. <laughs> I guess it's narratively necessary, but it was way too fucking much. You Good know. show, though. I uh, like it a lot. We're almost done with season two. Uh, so if you haven't watched The Bear, uh, watch The Bear. But that is what I have been up to. Wonderful. Yeah. And I guess that brings us to the end mm-hmm. of this nostalgic episode of girl mode Mm -hmm. as usual you can find us anywhere you listen to podcasts we'll post our socials for some variation of girl mode pod in a bunch of different places uh you can find me on those different places at robin bombas and i'm on socials at the willow row uh you can also email us questions comments concerns Mm -hmm. jokes anything really uh life advice uh at girlmodepod at gmail.com uh, no, we'd give life advice. Do you think people... Oh, oh, yeah, oh, if you're sorry. a listener and you've just like really been like, these girls really need to get I their shit together. I've got to get these girls in line. Yeah, if you have any advice for us to get our lives together, girlmodepod at gmail.com <laughs> or our co-host <laughs> where you can ask questions. Yeah, also yeah. tell... I don't know. Tell who write a letter to Nintendo Power. Write a letter to Nintendo Okay. Yeah, because this is like, an, you know, oh, a retro okay. Episode. Yeah, I get it. Clever. Thanks. (laughs) I I never read Nintendo Power. I never read Nintendo Power. No? No. I did. I did read Game Informer. I don't remember it. I read Game Informer. And then I also read Electronic Gaming Monthly because it sounded more grown up. Speaking of travel, two fun stories about travel and gaming. When I was coming back from London for my Final Fantasy 16 thing, I got through, I was like going through customs and you have to like talk to the customs agent. He was like, were you there for work or pleasure? And I was like, I was there for work. And he was like, what do you do? I was like, I write about video games (laughs) for a living. Get off my back, And he was like, like EGM. And I was like, sure. Wow. <laughs> I was like, not really, but close enough. Why not? Yeah. And another fun travel story is whenever we would go on family vacations when I was a kid, one of the things that we would do is you would like stop in at a bookstore, usually before we got to the airport, because, you know, you don't want to like just be stuck in the airport bookstores and stuff all the time. We would go to like a bookstore. We would go to their magazine section because like my sisters and stuff, they would want to buy their magazines or my mom. Mm-hmm. And then I would I would like be like, I want to get something too. And then I would always like get the like latest issue of Game Informer and I would read that on the plane uh, or in the airport. Nice. And that's my little story. So. So whenever you read Game Informer, you feel like you're on the plane. Stuck in an airport. <laughs> no. <laughs> <sighs> Bye. Great. Bye. Right. We did it. And I think it's really fascinating. And I need a drink of water. Yeah. Just giving you time to mentally prepare yourself to listen to me talk about anal She's like, I'll keep it so short, I promise. That's okay. You rarely get a chance to talk about them. You should I take know, you God, should take the opportunity. Have I mentioned them before on this show, actually? I mean, we talked about Stephanie. I know. Oh, okay. you're kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I talk about them nonstop. <laughs>